Bible reading today is from 1 John 2, starting at verse 3. So if you can flick through and get to that page first, I'll give you a moment. I think everyone is ready. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God it's true, is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, Young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Please keep your Bibles open. I'm going to use the wireless thing. John, we, um, we did have some church Bibles and then they got updated to some new ones, but the new ones that I took from the office were actually not meant for our church, they were meant for the lunchtime group at Lizzie Mac, so I'm in the process of getting some <laughs> new Bibles. So sorry about that if you don't have a Bible because of my oversight, um, and I'll make sure we get some new Bibles very soon, this week, hopefully. Um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's Word, so the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and apply it. Please join me. Loving Father, Almighty God, thank you so much for your Word, the Bible. Thank you that it's trustworthy and true. And help us now to uh, have clear minds and open hearts to receive it uh, with thanksgiving, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My wife, Lara, and I, we like to watch movies to relax. Uh, we'll often watch movies. We'll often watch old movies that we grew up with and we love. So if you kind of think of some movies that you grew up with that you really like. Uh, one that she grew up with and loves and that I've kind of grown to love too is The Princess Bride. Who's seen The Princess Bride? Oh, wow. Over half. That's good. Uh, who likes it and who can't stand it? Who likes it? John likes it. Who doesn't? Who can't stand it? Yeah. 
Good. There's usually no one in the middle when it comes to The Princess Bride. Um, it's one of those polarizing movies that you either, <laughs> that you either love or hate. It's corny, it's cheesy, uh, it's, just, it's a love story. It's very much a comedy and supposed to be ridiculous. Uh, and it is, and we love it. It's really fun. It's kind of, you know, very brainless, which is nice when you've had a busy week. Uh, it stars a couple who are in love, and they're on the screen, Buttercup. Uh, is on the right. She's a, a, young, a, a wealthy-ish young woman. And Wesley is her servant. And Wesley adores Buttercup. He loves her. He thinks she's great. And the opening scenes of the movie are snippets where Buttercup asks Wesley to do things for her. She calls him farm boy. Um, you know, do this. And he, he says, as you wish. Farm boy, do this as you wish. To the point of ridiculousness where she says, farm boy, hand me this pitcher, this jug, hanging from the roof, and he romantically steps towards her and says, as you wish. Whatever she wants is his very wish and command. Because he loves her so much, he'll do anything for her. And she tests his love even by asking the ridiculous thing to pass the water jug. And he's happy to do it because of his great love for Buttercup. Time and again, Buttercup's wishes are met with an unthinking desire to please her and obey her because of his immense love for her. Now, of course, it's just a silly movie, right? Um, but we actually see the same principle applied here in 1 John chapter 2. And we just had that read for us a moment ago. And I wonder, do you love God? Not in a romantic, silly way, but deeply. Do you deeply love, cherish, adore God? Are you eager to please Him? Do you unthinkingly obey His every command because you know it's good and right and because you love Him? Is Harriet okay? Poor little thing. That's okay. That's all right. I'm just concerned for her. Do you love God and do you wish you loved God more? How do you know you love God? And how do you grow your love for God if you wish you had more love for God? And if you have no love for God, well, how do you get it? How do you, are you missing out on loving God and being loved by God? How do you attain fellowship with God if you don't have it at all? How is fellowship with Him made possible in the first place? Well, this passage is going to answer all those questions. How do we know we love God? How do we grow our love for God? How do we have love and fellowship with God in the first place? The big idea for our whole series is that you may know. You can see it written there just underneath John. John uses the word know 29 times in this letter. 29 times he says that he says no, 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 K-N-O-W, not N-O. Um, and the, the book's only five short chapters long. Eight of those occurrences, almost a third, are in our passage today. He uses the word no. The letter of John is very much about knowledge. That you may know something. What is it that John wants his original hearers and us as well to know exactly? Well, the answer is he wants us to know how to have fellowship with God who created the universe. And how, how do we do that? Well, he wants us to know that. Because to have fellowship with God is to have your sins forgiven. 
To have fellowship with God is to be in perfect relationship with the Almighty One who created the universe, who created all things. To know God is to have hope for the future, to know where this world is headed and to have great hope in that. As we turn on the evening news, it's easy to lose hope in the world, but in knowing God, we can have great hope as we live in this world. In the last section, in in the first chapter of the letter, he warns those who have false hope or who think they have hope, but really they don't. They think they know God, but they don't. And that's an important context for our passage today. So we're going to look at it very quickly. Verses 6 to 8 of chapter 1, if you've got your Bible. If you don't, it's on the screen. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't live out the truth. We don't have fellowship with God. We don't have hope. If we say we're friends with God, but we're committed to living in darkness, which means we're committed to living a sinful life, a life in rebellion to God, instead of living the way God wants us to, we're kidding ourselves. And we're not actually friends with God. Similarly, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim we've never done anything wrong, we've never offended God, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we claim we've not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. God says, if you've sinned, you can't be in fellowship with me. If we say, I haven't sinned, but that's okay by God, because I'm a pretty good bloke, we're deceiving ourselves and we're making God out to be a liar. God is no liar. If we're living for ourselves, we have no fellowship with God. It doesn't matter if you've come from a Christian family. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized or not. If you claim to be without sin and walk in the darkness, you deceive yourself and you have no fellowship with God. It's a bit like fake sports fans, people who claim claim they've got, they follow a team, but they don't really. They can't actually name any of the players or anything like that. They're fake fans. As everyone in this church knows, especially the kids who were here two weeks ago, I'm a West Tigers fan. You can spot a West Tigers fan because they're usually miserable and downcast because their team's terrible. If you see any really happy people getting around who say they're West Tigers fans, you know they're a fake. (laughs) They can't possibly be because their team's terrible. They're a fake fan, although we did get our first win yesterday. But as a true fan, I have little hope for the rest of the season. If we claim to be without sin, we're like a fake follower of Jesus. We're not a true Christian. We don't have fellowship with God. We're deceiving ourselves. So it begs the question, then, how do we know if we do have fellowship with God? How can we be sure? And there are two tests that John tells us about here. And the first one is obedience. Look at verse 3 again of chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. Obedience is the, is the first test. The first way we can know that we know God, because we obey God. That's how we know It's not enough to respect 
Jesus, to stand back and go, yep, I can respect that he existed and he's a pretty great guy. It isn't even enough to believe that he was born, that he lived, that he died and rose again. It's not enough to believe in those things. You can tell that someone has fellowship with God, that they know God because they read their Bible, they come to church regularly to learn the Bible, they give their all to do what the Bible says because this is God's word. That's how you know that you know God because you do give your everything to obey him. Christians ought to be people of integrity. Their words, what they say, what they believe, are proven true by their works, what they do. What they say they believe is proven true by what they do with their life. They say they believe in God and they obey God consequently. Christians are those who strive within the confines of our imperfection to do God's will. They fail at times, but they won't want to fail and they'll seek forgiveness when they do fail and they continue to strive to obey God's good and loving word with their will, their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. The first proof of love for God is loyalty to his will for our lives. Just as Jesus was loyal to his Father, even to death on a cross, so too you can know that you know God if you are loyal to his will and you obey it. <clears throat> but there's a second way given to us in the parish, in the parish, in the passage, um, to show, to, to uh, prove that we know God. And that is not just that we love him, but we love others as well. Love for God is actually most commonly and clearly expressed in love for other people. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. The old command is a message you've heard before, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light's already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister, talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, in church, lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. For anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. The second test of fellowship with God is that you don't hate others, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and certainly uh, others, um, but you love them. And this is not a new command. It was written down thousands of years ago in the Levitical law. In the Israelite community, thousands of years ago, God gave them this command. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, amongst the Israelites, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. It's an old law, an old command. But at the same time, in Jesus, it's made new and it's renewed. So it's a new command. It's kind of like when you buy a used car. This isn't the actual first car I had, but this is the first car I had, 983 Toyota Corolla. I loved it to bits. It was so good. Mine had a little body kit on it as well and a sunroof. Come on. 
No, no, they were very, John's was baby blue. Mine was white, just like that one, with the mags. Now, <clears throat> if you buy a used car and then you want to tell your friends about it, because you do, do you say to your friends, hey, I bought an old car? Or do you say, I bought a new car? Hey, you got a new car, what'd you get? Oh, I got a five-year-old something, right? You say you bought a new car, because it's new for you, even though it's an old car. It's new for you. And it's similar with this law, this command that's handed down to God's people. It's an old command from years ago, but it's been renewed. It's got a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. It's, it's been renewed in Jesus. It's been exploded out in him. In Matthew chapter 5, which is at the bottom of the screen, so we've got the old command at the top of the screen and the new command at the bottom of the screen. They're very similar, but they're different. The old command says, don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the old command, and it was good. But I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we were reminded on Good Friday as we looked at God's word that Jesus, just, Jesus did that very thing as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him in the worst possible way. They nailed him to a cross and left him for dead. Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to know God, we need to love not only our neighbor and not only our brothers and sisters, but even our enemies. In other words, everyone. We ought to have love for all people. <clears throat> the true light has come into the world. The true light is Jesus. And upon the world, his light and his love now shines. And with this light comes the dawning of a new age where sin and hatred and death and the devil have been defeated. Sin and hatred and death and the devil have been defeated. They're in their final death throes. And one day soon, Jesus will return to destroy them once and for all. Sin and death and the devil will no longer exist. Once Jesus returns, they'll be conquered. There'll be no more hatred, no more violence, no more war, no more people killing other people, no more death. The old age is passing away. And this we know for a fact because Jesus rose from the dead. You can spot someone who knows God and is known by God because they walk in that light. They live for him. They have hope because of him. They have the knowledge of where this world is headed and also where they are headed because of him. They're not blindly scrambling around in the dark without direction, without hope in this fallen and broken world. And followers of Jesus, you can spot them because they love others even their enemies, even those who persecute them. And if it's true that they love God and love obeying him, then it's equally true that those who know God hate the world. Now, what does it mean to hate the world? That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Let's look again at verse 15, which is not on the screen. Oh. Yep, it's not on the screen. I'll read it. Do not love the world or anything in the world, verse 15. 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's one thing to love others, it's another to love your church and your neighbour, but to love your enemy in a fallen world is extreme. But that's what followers of Jesus are called to do. To love all people in the world. But we must not submit ourselves to the desires of the world. This passage is not saying hate everyone in the world. Jesus has already said love everyone in the world, even your enemies. This passage is saying do not submit yourself to the worldly desires, to the lusts of the flesh, to the lusts of the eyes, to human pride and self-aggrandizing. Those who have fellowship with God don't seek security in great wealth. They seek security in Christ. Those who know God don't seek fame or great success in this world. They seek to please God and he alone. Followers of Jesus can be sure they have fellowship with God because in their heart of hearts they long to obey God's commands. That's how you know. They long to please him. Ultimately, his opinion matters not the opinions of other people. In their heart of hearts, God's people seek to love others, even those who hate them, which is very contrary to the world. The world seeks, people seek to clamber over the top of one another. In the world, you seek revenge. If you're wronged, I'm going to wrong you back. But the person who knows God doesn't act like the world. The person who knows God loves others despite the fact they might be mistreated by them. Now, this teaching from John, it could possibly leave the sensitive follower of God feeling worried that they don't know God. You know, I, I don't always love my enemies. I find it really hard to love my enemies. I, I don't always obey God. I sin sometimes. It could leave you feeling concerned. And John's aware of that. And so he takes what's kind of a digression, actually, in verses 12 to 14. If you want to look with me in your Bibles, and it is on the screen. And he says this, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. Can you see John's addressing three different groups of people here, children, fathers, and young people? And the three groups are in different stages of life. There's children, young people, and then fathers, and also mothers. The father's the head of the household in the Bible. He's the one who sacrificially lives for his wife. So as John addresses fathers, he's also, of course, addressing mums. But the point is that there's these three different stages of life that we go through physically, children, young people, parents, but also spiritually, we go through three different stages of life as we're young and mature followers of Jesus and we become a bit more mature, then we become old and wise and we try to train those who are younger. So there's these three different groups of people and he wants to remind them of the gospel. 
He wants to remind them they're saved by God, not by their obedience, not by their love of others. That's not what saves them. That's what they do because they're saved. This letter is addressed to my dear children in chapter 2, verse 1. So most certainly, this teaching here most certainly includes the whole church, even though he's kind of singled out certain groups. The whole point of the section is to encourage, to remind people, even when they stumble into sin, even when they struggle to love their enemy, in your workplace, in your street, in your family, Hopefully not, but perhaps even though you struggle, you're still loved by God. Remember, my dear children, verse 12, your sins have been forgiven on account of the name of Jesus. Fathers, mothers, remember God, our Father in heaven, who has always existed from the very beginning to the very end. There will be no end. There was no beginning for him. Remember, young people, that Although you're kind of in the front line fighting the battle each day, there's a, there's a stage in our life as we're kids, we're kind of not really in the front line of the battle of life. As young people we are, and then hopefully as we get a bit older and wiser, we leave the, we, we've fought our battles and we leave, we leave the battles to the younger people. And that's the, that's the picture here. It's the younger people who are really fighting the fight. If you're working full-time, part-time and you've got a few kids and a mortgage and whatnot and trying to live for Jesus in this world, you know what it is to fight the fight, to wrestle day in, day out, to live for him. So John's words are an encouragement to you. I write to you, dear children, you know the Father. Remember, all of you, you know God. You know the one who created the universe intimately you've been drawn into relationship with him through faith in Jesus that cannot be shaken and cannot be lost we are not distant specks that God sees like Google Earth before you zoom in on something God dwells in us by his Holy Spirit it is intimate it is close I write to you, fathers, you know him is from the beginning. Don't forget that as you get older. You know God. As you age, as you ail, as sickness increases, so delight and joy at the prospect of meeting God sooner or to increase. You know the one who's from the beginning. Young men, I write to you because you're strong. The word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one. Young people, sorry. As you're doing life, as it's a struggle, particularly young parents, as it's hard, as it's a wrestle, you find it hard to be godly at home. You find it hard to be godly at work. You're tired. You're worn out. Remember, you have overcome the evil one through faith in Jesus. You have eternal life and it cannot be lost. You are strong because the Holy Spirit is strengthening you.
God's word lives in you. What does this mean for us all today? Well, three things that we asked at the start. How do you know you love God? You want to obey him. You can tell someone who knows God because they want to obey God. And you can tell someone who loves God because they want to love others, even their enemies. They don't hate people. They love people. It's hard. It can be a struggle at times. That's human. But the Holy Spirit prompts us to continue to love others as Jesus has loved us. You can tell you love God and know God by the way you love others. Secondly, how do you grow your love for God if it's hard, if you don't feel it, if life's a grind, if you feel spiritually dry? How do you grow your love for God? Wesley couldn't get enough of spending time with Buttercup and it was that time with Buttercup that grew his love for her. That constant relationship, that constant contact, that constant reminder of how delightful she was, how wonderful she was, how beautiful she was. That's what grew Wesley's love for Buttercup, knowing her. What's going to grow your love for God? The same thing, actually. Spending as much time as you can with him, being reminded of how wonderful he is, how delightful he is, how kind he is, how good he is, how just he is. And we do that by reading his word or hearing his word read or hearing it read by our spouse because we can't open our eyes, we're so tired. As we read the Bible, hear the Bible, come to church, hear the Bible, we're reminded Paul's letter to the Ephesians says, as followers of Jesus, we are seated in the heavenly realms already in Christ, spiritually, forevermore. What a joy. What a blessing. What a great motivation to obey God all the more when we know how good he is, how almighty he is. Why would you not want to live for the one who's so very good and gives so generously. I pray, and I'm sure you pray with me, that Piper will never know a day of her life outside the love of God that's found through Christ. She'll never know a day of her life without the great hope of eternal life that she has because of Jesus. I pray, and I'm sure you pray with me, that Piper will grow up and just delight to share this good news with all her friends at preschool and school and high school and uni and whatever she, wherever she goes. She'll delight to share the good news that forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus. And that's the third thing that we learned today. Forgiveness of sins is available to all people. We simply have to recognize that we've sinned, we've offended God, we've rebelled against him and apologize and accept his forgiveness, his free offer of forgiveness. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus and received free forgiveness, what's stopping you? What's holding you back? Why would you refuse fellowship with such a good God? If you want to receive fellowship with, if you want to have fellowship with God, if you want to receive forgiveness of sins, it's just, It's as simple as recognizing you've sinned, apologizing to God in prayer and receiving forgiveness of sins and then going on living for the one 
who is so wonderful to live for. Such a joy. I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. And if you want to have fellowship with God, or you already have it, please say amen with me at the end. And I'll finish with this. Please join me in prayer. Dear loving God, we all know that we sin. We do and say things we shouldn't. We neglect to do and say things that we should. Most of all, we ignore you and we do not submit to your will. Father, we are sorry for our sins. Please forgive us. Help us to submit ourselves to your loving rule, to trust in Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Help us to obey you and to love others, even our enemies. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.